Hi, welcome to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're concluding our series called Sons of Abraham. It's part of our study in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And today we're coming to a fork in the road, so to speak, in our understanding of something we can call two paths for life. We're going to see that as Christians, we can either live by faith or by the law. One path, the law, is totally dependent upon us getting it right. And the other path, Christ getting it right for us. As always, an encouraging message for your faith ahead. Let's listen now to part two of the message called Two Paths for Life. Here's John. You don't have to raise your hands, but think about this question. How many of you got impatient this past week? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Although, I'll just go ahead and do it. (laughs) Impatience is a form of anger. And anger is murder. So all of you are murderers out there. You have 606 to go. But guess what? James says if you've broken one, you're guilty of the whole thing. Legalism always diminishes the standard of righteousness revealed in the law and always exalts self and says, oh, if you keep these laws, you can reach this, and so you're okay. You're guilty of the whole thing. And so Paul comes in and he says, does our inherent righteousness constitute at least 0.01% of our righteousness before God as the ground by which God looks at you and says you're just? And Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, question 62. It, it, it asks this question, but why can our good works, and it's talking in the context about us as believers now, not before we become saved, justified. Why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? And here's the response. Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Everything we do in this life is shot through with sin. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he says this, If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says it is either Christ alone or Christ not at all. It is not a little bit of you and a little bit of him. So it is Christ's obedience. It is not our obedience. It is not our behavior. It is not our performance. It is not our acts towards God that makes us just before God. It is Christ's obedience. It is Christ's death. It is Christ's burial. It is Christ's resurrection. It is Christ's ascension. It is Christ's intercession. And it is Christ's second coming who will complete what He started. And so there are no amount of good works that you could ever perform to leave you confident before God. None. Listen to John Calvin. He says, no, if we ask in what way the conscience can be made quiet before God, we shall find that the only way 
be that unmerited righteousness be conferred upon us as a gift of God. We profit nothing in discussing righteousness unless we establish a righteousness so steadfast that it can support our soul in the judgment of God. And then listen to what he says. For no one can ever confidently trust in it. That is, his obedience. Because no one will ever be really convinced in his own mind that he has fully satisfied the law. As surely as no one ever fully satisfies it through works. See, that's the whole issue. Your conscience acts like this little monitor inside of you given by God. And every time you fail, it just says guilty, 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 guilty. And the only thing that will quiet that little voice that nags you on a daily basis for your ongoing failure is to realize that your acceptance before God lies wholly and totally outside of yourself in Christ alone. And so we as believers must constantly hear the strictness of the law preached. Why? Because the Holy Spirit takes the law and He brings true conviction instead of false guilt. And He continually makes us aware of how radically depraved we are. You're just as guilty and sinful as the homosexual that marches down the streets of San Francisco. And if you never come to understand that, you'll, not, you'll never understand justification. If you think somehow you're morally superior to a homosexual activist that gets on the street and does his thing, you don't understand justification. Because the law is lifted up to us in the Bible and the Holy Spirit shows us how radically depraved we are and how desperately and how more eagerly we are to seek the perfect righteousness that resides in Christ alone. And so it is only the law's strict, inflexible demands of perfection. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said it, you must be perfect. It is my heavenly Father is perfect. And only that perfection can shake us loose of our self-sufficiency, self-confidence, self-superiority. And cause us to look outward to Christ and to flee to Him as our sole source of refuge. And so this was the heart of the Reformation debate. This is what the reformers were trying to inculcate back into people. They were trying to get people to see, and this is what they called it, that Christ's righteousness was an alien righteousness. An alien righteousness. Why alien? Not because it's from a different universe. It's going to come in a UFO 
what they were saying is this. The righteousness was an alien righteousness because this righteousness by which you stand before God accepted and under his goodwill and favor doesn't come from you. It doesn't generate from you. It doesn't inherit within you. It is solely outside of you. In verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul told us what the only thing is that we contribute to our justification. The only thing that we contribute to our justification, according to Paul, is our law-breaking, our sin, our transgression. In Romans chapter 5, verse 14, Paul calls Adam's eating of the forbidden tree a transgression. A transgression is a breaking of the law. It is overstepping the bounds. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, Hosea says that Adam transgressed the covenant. He broke God's law. And so when Adam blew it, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that all of his descendants with him are guilty. And so he says, as sin came into the world, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is why the law curses. This is why we have nothing to offer to God. Nothing. This is why inwardly we don't rest on a foundation of inherent righteousness. Because we have none. There's no ground. There's no protection. There's no refuge by which to find escape from the judgment and wrath and curse of God's law from something that is inherently within us. And so, listen, Andrew Murray said this, as Adam's disobedience made us sinners, the obedience of Christ makes us righteous. To the obedience of Christ, we owe everything. There's one more principle that Paul gives us, and it's this. When he quotes Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, he shows us that the law and faith promise life through totally different means. They both hold out promises for life. But it's totally incompatible with different means. We've already shown you that the phrase shall live occurs both in chapter uh, 3, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 12, Habakkuk 2, 4, and Leviticus 18, 5. And what Paul has shown you there is this, is that not only does the law have different principles by which to live by, not only does the law and gospel have different grounds or foundations by which to have confidence before God, but the law and the gospel have totally different means by which life is obtained and experienced. And he says this, the law promises life on the condition of one's perfect obedience. He says in Galatians chapter 3, the one who does them shall live by them. You do it and you will live. But the gospel promises life on the condition, listen, of the perfect obedience of Christ. So much better. Jesus met all the conditions for you. 
And so through the gift of faith, which comes through hearing the gospel, you're bonded to Christ alone. The law promises life after obedience has been performed. The law promises God's will and favor on you after you've done a perfect job. But the gospel promises life before you've done anything. Anything. At the very beginning of your Christian life, before you have ever had one act of obedience, God says, you ungodly person, you're justified. Why can he do that? Because the condition has been met by Christ, not you. That is unbelievable good news. And so the gospel promises life before and listen, and in order to your obedience. The gospel is not a license to sin. The gospel, listen, is the remedy for your sin, and it is also the compelling motive or engine by which to drive you to repent from it and continually seeking to obey. And if you didn't have this pardoning word of justification over your life, you would never repent. Because why would you want to turn back around and go home to a father who's going to abuse you? If you think that God the Father now somehow when you blow it as a Christian is angry with you in a punitive, judgmental, wrathful, vindictive, judge type of sense, you don't understand the gospel. God is no longer your judge. You are, not, you are no longer under any vindication from God. No vindictive wrath. None. So here's the point. What, isn't God angry with me when I sin as a believer? Isn't God displeased and don't I quench the Holy Spirit? Of course you do. Hebrews chapter 12 says God has a remedy for that. He's your father who loves you and he'll get his belt out and he'll give you a little spanking. Because he loves you. Not because he's judging you. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand justification. You don't understand the gospel. And you will never live a life that repents and seeks to obey. Never. And so the law promises to bless those who keep it perfectly. But the gospel promises to bless those who trust in Christ only. This is is how we think. Most of us, And and most people that we come into think like this. God's blessings come to me by faith alone. But I live daily to keep it by how good my behavior is. And you've just relinquished the gospel. And Paul says to you, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is what people think. If I do certain things, God will come through for me. People think this all the time, that they've had a really good day and they go to the shopping mall and it's a busy day and there's nowhere to park. You've had a good day and... The, the perfect spot opens up right next to the handicapped spot, right in front of the door where you want to shop. Everybody says this. Well, I had a good quiet time today. 
God's blessing me today. That is bad theology. Bad. God is not your debtor because of what you do. God is your debtor because of what Christ did for you. If God's promises of blessings were dependent on your performance, your blessings wouldn't be meager. They would not exist. You would have no blessing in your life. And you know what you would have? Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You're under a curse. All of your best works as a believer are imperfect and stained with sin. We, we all have varying degrees of impure motives. We daily fail to keep up perfectly everything God commands us in 607 laws. You might keep 606 and blow the last one and then you're guilty of all of them. This is what Jerry Bridges says in his book, Disciplines of Grace. He says, it is because we do not realize the utter depravity of the principle of sin that remains in us and stains everything we do that we entertain any notion of earning God's blessing through our obedience. And it is because we do not fully grasp the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for all our sins that we despair of God's blessing even when we have failed to live up to even our own desires to live a life that is pleasing to God. So this is what Paul's dispelling here for us. He's dispelling this false notion. I'm saved by grace, but I earn or forfeit the promises of life and blessing from God based on my daily behavior. And Paul says that is not how you live the Christian life. And so Paul says forth two different paths for life, the law and the gospel, and the issue of justification. And this is what he says. When you mix the two together, this is back in Galatians chapter 1, verse 7. When you mix the two together, you become confused. And troubled. You, you, become, you begin to lose your confidence and assurance. Because what happens is this. Is you begin to base. Hardly and then by default wholly. God's favor on your life. Based on the graces in your life. And the performance of your life. Instead of grounding your confidence and assurance holy and fully and only in Jesus' perfect life and death and resurrection on your behalf. And so what happens is this. The Christian lives a life of perpetual, disquieted, anxious, depressed, despairing, guilt-laden, fearful, joyless living. I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I received an email this past week. I read it Tuesday night. Listen to a perfect example of what I'm talking about, the difference 
between a law-driven life and a gospel-driven life. I just wanted to let you know how, how encouraged I have been with your message of God's grace versus legalism, which is not mine, it's Paul's, which he got from Jesus. <laughs> but he's been encouraged by this. He says, growing up, I was pumped full of legalistic viewpoints. I was taught that if music had over a certain number of beats per minute, it invited the devil into the music and certainly couldn't be from God. I was taught that if you drank even a sip of alcohol, you were definitely going to hell. It was constantly pounded into my head that rules came first. And only if you followed those rules would you be worthy of God's grace. That's Galatians chapter 3, 10 and 12. After growing up at a certain church, going through a certain homeschool program from Bill Gothard, where they encouraged you to only wear black, blue, and white, when you mentioned that's what the Amish believed, it made me smile. And then going to a certain university for college, I felt like I had been spiritually beaten down my whole life. It made me sick when the staff seemed to continually put their man-made rules above God's message of grace. He says this, after my dad committed suicide, my freshman year, and I was kicked out of college my sophomore year, I had not lost my faith in God, but I felt spiritually immune to any teaching or any act of God that was going on around me. I knew there had to be something more than this legalistic view, but I thought that I must be wrong if my pastors, teachers, and almost everyone that I looked up to around me held that view. I was driven to a point of spiritual despair and lost almost all interest in studying God's Word or doing anything except just showing up to church on Sunday morning. Since going to Paramount, I have felt my desire for the Lord slowly growing. I am encouraged beyond belief to know that I can seek after the Lord not for fear of breaking His rule, but for my desire to be held in His arms of grace. It was one of the best emails I've ever received in ministry. Because as I share with the leadership Tuesday night, I hate Monday morning because Monday morning the emails flood, they all come, and they're never like that. It's everything they're all mad about. The good news of Christ sitting at the heart of a soul, despairing, broken, afraid to come back to God for fear that He's going to be punished. And He hears the good news. 
And now he says, I feel my desire for God growing. That's the difference between a law-driven life and a gospel-driven life. Your conscience, as I said, will act as an inner witness and a monitor of everything that you owe to God. And every time you don't give what you owe to God perfectly, it says you're guilty. And so unless you come to understand, Paul says, the difference between the law and the gospel, the difference between a law-driven life which leads to despair or pharisaical hypocrisy and a gospel-driven life that sets your heart free to sing, you will never come to a point in your life where you have firm assurance of God's love and goodwill and mercy and grace resting over you, not only now, but forever. Thanks, John. That concludes the Sons of Abraham study in a message called Two Paths for Life, a study in Galatians 3. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.